The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. This is God's word for today. Glorious. Well, Acts, I'd ask you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. Lord, uh, as we talk about 2020 and what you might be up to and what we might be up to as a church, Lord, you already know every beat of this year. Lord, you know the highs and the lows, you know the challenges we're going to face, the opportunities. Lord, you're going to surprise us with joy. There will be mourning. So, Father, Lord, as we head into 2020, not just as individuals or families, but as a church trying to lean into our community. Father, we pray that it is firmly planted on your foundation of who you are and what you're doing. Lord God, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So, as Hannah had said, we are in the middle of a series called 2020 Vision, kind of looking and saying, what is going to be our compass bearing for us as a church There are awesome churches all around us, right, from different denominations, some in the same denominations. God's doing cool things through all of them, but what is going to make Acts Church unique? And last week we talked about how first and foremost, we are going to be a Christ-centered church. Because if we're not centered on Christ, everything else that we build, anything good that we do, whether it's at Baghdad Elementary School or with Acts of Love or community gardenings or overseas mission trips, all that stuff, if it's not built on Christ... Jesus says it's like you're building on sand, like building a home on a beach. But instead of putting foundations up, instead of putting structures up, he says it's literally building it on sand that when the storm comes, it's going to knock everything over. Last week we talked about how we will be a Christ-centered church, and that's what we will build upon. But beyond being a Christ-centered church, we want to be a family-focused church. And not just young families, not just old families, but families of every shape and size. Families, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, if you are a single individual within your household, God has a plan for you and he has a plan for your family. And the reason why this is so important to us, outside of the sheer number of kids that we have, especially at the 930 service, right, the zoo, lots of life, a lot of joy, But if you want to talk about how you became a mature Christian adult, in fact, if you were to poll the adult Christians in this room right now who have said, you know what, I'm going to make my faith a priority, that's why we're here on a Sunday morning, and if you were to say, I wonder what they have in common, statistically what you would find is that 80% of us in this room came from a family that practiced their faith together. 80% of mature Christians who say God is important in my life, that regularly prays, that regularly reads their Bible. The thing we have in common is that as we grew up, our family did that. And we learned from our family. And our parents, our grandparents, passed that faith on to us. That's the common unity 
It's not what type of church you went to. It's not how good of a pastor you had or what kind of music you listened to. If you went to a big congregation or a small congregation, the thing that unifies us more than anything else is that we shared our family's faith, that someone came before us and passed that on to us. And what's interesting is that's just not statistics. That's actually straight from Scripture. We're going to be reading all of Deuteronomy 6 today. But before we do, we've got to talk a little bit about the history of what's happening right before then. For 400 years, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt. But God had made them a promise that one day he would liberate them. And when he liberated them, he was going to take them to a place that he said was filled with milk and honey. Now, milk and honey is not something that we would typically use in our common phraseology, but essentially what that means in Texan speak is low property taxes, good school district, good paying jobs, right? God says, I'm promising you a place where you can go and your family will be able ooh, to flourish. And as they're entering into that, Moses is handing off the baton. He's handing off the baton to the next generation. And he's got these words for him. And we find his last speech, essentially, in the book of Deuteronomy. And the centerpiece of that speech is directed towards families. Is directed towards, hey, if you want to see how your kids and their kids and their kids live out the faith, it's going to be centered on the household, right? So Deuteronomy 1, or Deuteronomy 6, 1 and following. These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as they live by keeping all of these decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you all may enjoy long life. Thank you. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. God says he's setting up these commands for two things. He says, therefore, our entire family, not just for me individually, but for those who come after me, that they may fear the Lord. And this word fear is not the word that you would get terrified from. God does not want you, as his sons and daughters, to be scared of him. But he does want you to respect him, right? And that's what every parent wants for their children. You don't want your kids to come up to you and be scared to ask you for something. When they're in trouble, you don't want them to wonder, what is mom or dad going to think if I come to them with this problem? You don't want them to be terrified, but you do want them to respect you, right? To realize that your role as parent comes with a level of authority and a level of trust. And that's what that word fear means. And why? So that they may enjoy a long life. You know, sometimes as Christians, sometimes when we read the Bible and hear all these things that God wants us to do, to love him, to love our neighbor, to treat people with respect, we can wonder, well, why did you set up all these rules in the first place? Did you just create all these artificial ways of living so we'd have to jump through these hoops? What we find in Scripture is God does not care about hoops. That is not his end goal. His end goal is that you may enjoy long life. Now, this isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't saying God is promising you if you hit the right buttons on his cosmic vending machine that he is going to give you a great job and you're always going to be healthy and your kids are going to be above average, right? The Lake Wobegon song, right? That is not what God is promising in this. But what he is promising is no matter what life throws at you, his spirit 
spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, things the world can't give you, but the things that will allow you to withstand the highest of highs, to celebrate God and to enjoy them deeper than you ever would have thought possible, and to celebrate the storms of life, the hurts of life. He says, this is what to enjoy long life looks like. Then he goes on. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. In ancient Judaism, and actually modern Judaism, this section of scripture is one of the key cornerstones of their belief. It's called the Shema. And literally, here is Hebrew for Shema. And they build their entire faith around this section of scripture. This is how they relate to God. But when we see this word here, God isn't just asking his people, hey guys, I need you to verbally hear the words that are coming out of my mouth and then leave them on the ground, right? When you as parents tell your kids, hey, don't walk out the back door, you're not saying, I just need you to know that I said the words, don't walk out the back door, right? You're expecting them not only to listen, but to obey that. To say, these things that I am telling you, I am expecting you to do. All right? And then it goes on. So here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now we're supposed to love the Lord your God. Now, love in the English language, we use pretty liberally, right? So I can say, I love Marvel movies. Or I can say, I love a good pizza. Or I love this car. Or I love this house. Which is different than the love that I might have for mine and Erica's new puppy, Right? which I hope is different than the love that I have for my wife, all right? We have different types of love, and yet in English, we kind of just use that same word pretty liberally. But in Hebrew, the word love, yes, it had an emotional connotation to it, but it also had an action, a decision. And so when the emotion and the decision come together, you get this devotion to a thing or a person. And you as parents, you have a devotion to your children, right? You will go above and beyond to set them up for success. And ideally, we are hoping to raise up children who look back at their parents or their grandparents and have that same relationship. So he says, hear, O Israel, Shema, listen, obey what I am going to tell you, and then devote yourself to it. Not because God's up there thinking, well, I'm God and I just deserve this. If you ever wonder if God is worth loving or obeying, look no further than the cross. Right? Humanity mucks everything up. We still see the hurt and the brokenness. We tried to reach up to God, and no matter how many times we tried in the Old Testament, we never got there. And so what does God do? He comes down. He lives for us. He teaches us. And then Jesus allows himself to be humiliated, tortured, and ultimately killed on a cross. And he says, you want to know how much I love you? I love you this much. I will go to this length to have a relationship with you. And because of that God, we can trust him. We can trust his plans, and we can actually obey him and be devoted to him because he has what's best for us in mind. His plan is the same as it's always been to connect us to relationship with him and to connect us in relationship with each other. Deuteronomy goes on. 
And he says, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see, Moses entrusts families to build into the rhythm ways to talk about and remember who God is and what God's doing. He invites us to open our faith, not just as an individual thing between us as him, not just as something we celebrate on a Sunday morning for an hour, but he says, no, guys, when you're walking around, when you're driving down 183, when you're working on a project at home, as God naturally gives you something, as you're naturally scared about something or there's a concern, he says, invite your family into that. I've talked a lot about my road rage and how I'm not the best driver. One of the things that helped me in that when I was growing up, I was 16, 17 years old, and I really got frustrated with traffic and traffic jams. And God started working on my heart to help me realize that, you know what, if there's a traffic jam, if there is an accident somewhere up ahead of me, yeah, it sucks for me in this moment, but comparatively to the person who's in that accident, who might be on the way to the hospital, who might be losing their vehicle, who might not be able to get to work that day, whatever that is, their life is infinitely more complicated than mine. And so it allowed me to take a breath and actually say, you know what, I'm going to pray for whoever is in that accident ahead of me. And eventually my sister would notice this, that I would kind of bow my head when we were stopped, and she'd be like, you're praying for them, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. And she'd be like, we should pray for them together, right? And that built a rhythm in our family cycle where someone else was able to take part of that. Erica, before her and I go on any vacations, we start the vacation and we end the vacation the same way. We get in the car and we say, dear God, please bless our time. Help us on the roads. Help us treat each other well. Help us find moments of joy and in the moments of frustration, give us extra patience. And then we get home, we give thanks to God. We say, hey, thanks for this. This was good. Is that super complicated? doesn't always happen the moment we get in the car. Sometimes we're like two miles down the road. We're like, shoot, dang it, right? But we build that rhythm into our family where together we celebrate and we ask God, right? God tells us, he says, the best way to teach your kids what the faith looks like is as life happens, when you're going down the road, when you're scared, open up to your kids. When you're happy, celebrate with your kids. Pray with your family. Talk about God with your families. If you have a question, that's okay. Say, I wonder why God did this, or I wonder how this happened. Right? Deuteronomy goes on. He says, So when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, and houses filled with all kinds of things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then you will eat and you will be satisfied. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. This is literally what was happening. God was bringing his people out of Egypt, and he was giving them the land that he had promised them, but other people were living there. So there were actually cities that were already there, and God says, I'm going to give you these cities, I'm going to give you this farmland, I'm going to give you these wells, and you didn't build it. Remember, I'm not giving this to you because you deserved it. 
I'm not giving this to you because you were special or because you were better than anyone else. He says, I'm going to give this to you as a gift from father to children. He says, so don't forget that. Celebrate that. And out of that celebration, serve me. Not just as individuals, but as families. Find a rhythm of life that doesn't just give thanks and remembrance that, hey, you know what? All the stuff that we have, the houses or the cars or the trips, this is all from him. It's a gift from him. And yeah, we participate in that. We go to work. We get better at our jobs. We figure out what we are designed and created to do. But all of those things are literally gifts from God. And so finding out what that rhythm looks like. And then to honor God with that rhythm. And to build him into our decision-making processes, not just as individuals, but even as families. How do we as families serve him together and sacrifice together? What does that look like? Deuteronomy goes on. He says, Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. So do not put the Lord your God to test as you did in Massa. So they were moving into a new land, and around them would be all these other countries. And those countries had different gods. The Egyptians had gods. The Philistines, the Moabites, right? Baal and Ra. In fact, what they would do in ancient times was there was essentially a God for everything. So if you wanted to get pregnant, you would pray to the God of fertility. If you wanted a good crop, you would pray to the God of farming or to the God of rain. If you were going to war, you would pray to the God of war. And if you prayed hard enough, they believed, that God would protect you and provide to you whatever you needed. But we found out in the Shema, no, the Lord is one and only. There is one God that we go to for everything. And we might, as Christians, say, well, yeah, we know that. We don't have all these other gods in America, but oh my gosh, we probably have more gods. Right? We literally put on our money in God we trust. Right? But what do we mean by that? Most of the time we mean, well, as long as I have X amount of money, I'm okay. The God of pension, your 401k the God of vanity, the number of Instagram followers you have or how many likes you got, the God of what neighborhood you live in or what job you have. We have thousands of gods that promise they will provide that thing that we think we need because that's what a God does, right? A God protects you. A God provides for you. And so we can say, well, yeah, there's one God, but then we don't realize that we're serving all these other ones, that we are actually entrusting ourselves to them. But all those other little gods can be taken away from you. Your health, your job, your life, your family's life. None of those gods can ultimately give you what you're looking for. None of those gods can ultimately give your kids what they're looking for. But there is a God who has invited them in relationship who can provide for them and protect them. And he says, so as we as families go through life, we give thanks and we return thanks and serve this God. Again, not just as individuals, but as households, as generations. He says, in the future, when your son asks you, what was the meaning of these stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord God has commanded you? 
tell him, you see, we were slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on an oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all of these decrees, to fear our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. Moses says that your testimony, not just of the celebrations, not just of the times where things went really well for you or your family, but at times that were hard, the times where you were in slavery to addiction or to brokenness or to family past, where you were without a job or without direction, and God sustained you. And every single parent in this room right now is in this building because you have a testimony where God sustained you. Where God filled in the gap that you could never fill in, that those little gods could never fill in. And that testimony, that vulnerability, being able to say, you know what, I was broken, I was in slavery, and God redeemed me and rescued me, and started putting me back together, that testimony gives a track record for the next generation to follow. For them to be able to look and be like, well, you know what? Because my mom and my dad were able to be honest in their brokenness, when I break and our kids will break. All right? All of us do. We don't want them to. It's going to look different for each and every one of us. But for them and their brokenness to look back and be like, but I remember my parents and in their brokenness, Christ shined through. In their brokenness, they had a God who still promised them that land, that still promised them to be able to enjoy life, to have the fruits that are deeper than anything the world can give. Amen. This is one of those messages where sometimes I forget the weight of this, because here's the reality, right? I can talk about this, and be like, this is what God wants. And then all of us look at our family and we're like, holy crap, we are so incredibly up the creek, right? Because every single one of us comes from a dysfunctional family. Every single one of us hasn't done this right. As parents, as kids, as sons and daughters, as aunts and uncles, all of us don't reflect God the way we're supposed to do our families. And we live with that consequence, Right? All of us can show you scars from our parents or scars that we've given our parents or given our kids. That's a reality. But there is hope in that reality. One of my favorite verses comes from Exodus 20. It's right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. And God makes a promise in that. And he says this. Eh? You shall not bow down to them or worship them. He's talking about other gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And he says this. He goes, I will punish the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. We see this generational curse stuff, right? So my dad was an addict. So me and my sister struggle with that. Okay? Or a way a family interacts with one another. And we start stabbing each other in our back. And that gets passed on. 
And in fact, it doesn't just get passed on to that next generation. It continues to get passed on. And we see this. This is in our world, right? You see, you can look at a family and grandpa and the son and then the son's son. You can be like, wow, you can just see that same brokenness. That's part of the reality. But here's the good news. It doesn't end there. But, he says, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Because you want to know how much more powerful when we get in rhythm with God? No matter how much brokenness is in the past, no matter how many times we screwed it up or we didn't say what we were supposed to or we weren't honest or whatever it was, no matter what your family did to you or you've done to your family, yes, it has effects, but how much more powerful is God? How much more powerful is the rhythm of God? What is the promise of God? He says, for a thousand generations exponentially, exponentially, and exponentially again. He goes, this is how much more powerful it is when you get in rhythm and start living in rhythm with your family, not perfectly, not by your own strength, but by his strength. You do that. He goes, and for a thousand generations, it will be passed on. That's how much more powerful being in line with what God is doing does for you and for your family. That's the promise. And so it's not on our own strength. Because again, all of us come from dysfunctional families. None of us have done it right. And left to our own devices, we almost feel sad for our kids, but we don't have to. Because we have a God who says, no, I specialize in the island of misfit toys. I specialize in families that aren't perfect, but my love and my grace and my strength for a thousand generations will secure you and your kids and their kids after that and their kids after that and kids that you will never see with last names you will never know. He says, the blessing will still go on. My power will still be there. That's the strength of our God. And that's how we set up families to flourish and to take that next step. And then this last one, and I skipped over this, so we'll just double back, because it is powerful. It says, and if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. This word righteousness, sometimes we insert, well, that will be our holiness or our purity. That is not what he is getting at. Righteousness is the word sedekah, and it means to be in right relationship with one another. And so if you want to know how your family can be in right relationship with one another and right relationship with God... He goes, when you get into that rhythm, when you live as a family together, he will teach us righteousness, his rhythm, his way of life, being clothed in Christ, connects us to God, and it connects us to each other, and it helps us connect to our community. And that's the good news. That's the promise, is that we have a God of a relationship who's trying to put us back in right relationship as mothers and fathers, and husbands, and wives, and children, and aunts, and uncles, and adopted aunts, and uncles, and everything in between. That is the promise of our God. That's what it looks like to be family-focused. Again, though, we don't do this perfectly. All of us, and I will stand at the very front of this line, are not perfect family members. And so we build into a regular rhythm, a regular life, to say, no, we are going to be honest that we're still broken, that we're still trying to work this out. And so we go in with a time of confession where we stop and we pause and we say, God, this week, this morning, 
I wasn't in line with that rhythm. And we be honest in that. But the good news is he doesn't leave us there. He says, no, after confession comes absolution. Comes the promise that it's not on us to reach up to God. He's already down here. And he's going to purify us and clean us and give us that righteousness that allows us to connect back to him and everyone else. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread. He broke it. He said, take and eat, for this is my body, which I will break for you. The same way also after the supper, he took the cup. And we had given thanks. He said, drink of it, all of you. This cup is my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. A new covenant, a new way to connect to his righteousness, to connect to him and to connect to each other. I invite those helping with communion to come forward as we continue our worship. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.